0: If you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. That's going to be where we're going to start today. And I thought I'd give you a head start because that's probably not a place everyone is real familiar with. But it's going to be in the book of Habakkuk. Now... Last week, I gave a message on the state of the church. It was the first part of the message of the state of the church. And today is the wrap-up. It's the second part. I really felt like it was important uh, for us to, to really fully understand what I think what God wants to do here at our church through all of us. It was a two-part message. Last week, we asked ourselves the question, who are we, and what is our purpose here at Red Baptist Church? Um, We discussed the three foundational points, worship, edification, and evangelism. Worship is singing, but worship is a lifestyle. You're worshiping something every single day. Worship is who you are. Worship is how you're living your life who you're living it for what you're doing this is your life worship you're getting your worship on by what you're getting involved in edification <clears throat> that's how you're using your mouth are you building others up are you tearing them down are you edifying them or are you gossiping or slandering or what's what's coming out of your mouth it's edification and then of course evangelism is getting the good news out there that there's a whole lot more to life than this rock that we live on, and God wants all of us to know what that is. So it's those three points. It's the it's the we uh, points. This week, I think it was Monday. Uh, ben was here. It's been a it's it's been busy. It's been real busy, and um, I saw a gentleman stick his head. Around uh, the, uh, into the office, Ben was there, I was there, and I was on the phone. Ben went and went out with this guy, and right as I was about to leave, I needed to say something to Sam. I saw her at the end of the hallway, I opened the door, and I told her, "Hey, do you want me to lock the door on the way out?" And she said, "Hey, do you know this uh, A guy by the name of Dennis Cottrell. Some of you How many of you here? Remember Dennis, Raise your, put up your hands. All right, well, May D, he talked about you, and he talked about Poncho. He wondered if Bernard was still alive. No, he didn't ask that. But he was throwing down some, some pretty good names. Um, and anyway, Sam told me there was, a, there was a pastor here who used to pastor here a few years back. And his name is Dennis Contrell. Well, I was really late, but I could not miss that. So I went and I found him. And we got to talking. Ben was showing him all around the church. He hadn't been here since about 1985. So he was looking at all the changes that we have done in these seven to eight years. Of course, beginning with bathrooms to renovating our church, completely renovating the daycare, And now what we're doing as far as the inside of the fellowship hall, he was blown away. And it was really exciting to see the changes. And I asked Dennis, I said, now, what were your years here? And he said it was 82 to 84. Uh, He was the one that brought on Bobby Boyles that eventually became the pastor of Red Baptist Church. And I remember when he came on, he came on at a time when it was really difficult. Church had kind of gone through a split, and uh, the pastor eventually was gone, and then they brought on Dennis Contrail. And Dennis, as he was talking, uh, Ben and I, we were just standing there just talking to this guy, and he said, he goes, yeah, he goes, it was a really tough time. And I remember telling the deacons when I met with them, this is how we're going to heal the church. I'm just going to give them the word. And I'm going to let the word do all the healing. That's the only thing I know to do. And we're like, well, yeah, what else is there to do? But, you know, he sat there and he was talking about that. And he said that in that meeting, D, he said, one of the deacons voiced an opinion of, well, maybe we need to do this and maybe we need to do that. And as he was sharing this story, he said, Herb Martin... A.D.'s husband, who's now with Jesus, Herb spoke up, and Herb said, I believe if we want to do this right, we just need to let the Word minister. And that's all, I, that's all I think we need to do. And immediately, everyone in the room fell right in line, and it went. And I thought about that, and then I got to talking about D and uh, he talked about Poncho. He shared a story, but I can't remember much about it. Walking over... I'm going to ruin it. I'm not even going to try. It was a good story at the time that I remember. Um, But when he left, I mean, he was just in awe of what's going on. And you could see him going down memory lane in his mind, you know, as, as he's playing out what was and what is. Well, in these next last week and this week, we're going to look at not only what was and what is, but we're looking at our future. And we're going to look at what's going to be happening here. And it's going to happen because of the involvement and the participation. But most of all, it's what people are going to see in us. And what they hear from us is way more important than, um, uh, than, what, they, uh, than what they can gather from what we know or what we say or what we do. They're going to look at our actions. They're going to look at us because people are always looking um, at us. This is a we church. Not an I. Not a mine. It's about you. It's about me. We're all moving together. Um, we looked at how God has gifted us for the work of the church. That is this church. The word itself, church, literally means those who have been called out. Um, And you need to remember that when you were called out, you have also been commissioned. It's not just about being called. You've been commissioned. Jesus has a a role for every single one of us here to serve. Every single one of us. No one has been called to come and sit in a pew, and that's it. He has called us to get in the game. Um, I read just this week. Uh, This quote, I thought it was really good. It's not how much scripture you know that matters, but how much scripture you live out that does. Amen? Amen. So these are the three areas we're going to live out. Our worship, our edification, and our evangelism. So today we're going to look at the second question as we look at what God's vision is for Red Baptist Church. And the question that I have for you today is this. We're going to look at a message of how to keep before you a vision of where you are going. How to keep before us a vision of where we're going to go and basically uh, how we're going to get there. So before we dive into the word, let's pray. God, we just want to thank you uh, for all the things, Lord, that you are doing, for all the things that you have done And just for your spirit and the way everyone is feeling and moving and just participating in all these things, God, all of these things are because of you. And, Lord, we recognize that. And, Father, we just want to ask that today that you would help us all in this room to get a, a clear vision before us of our role, every single individual in this room, our role and what we are to do to see the work of this church be what you want it to be. So God, I just want to pray and ask that you would give us wisdom and you would give us discernment. And Lord, that you would help us to, to see the importance that we all play and see the great work that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now life is a lot like a parachute jump. you got to get it right the first time. Um, if you don't, your life is going to change. Just a little bit. Habakkuk was one of God's greatest prophets, and he was also a preacher. He lived in a time that was very tough. It was a lot more difficult than it is today in our day. And God gave Habakkuk a vision. Uh, During this difficult time in which Habakkuk lived, there was nothing but turmoil all around him. Uh, the Bible tells us in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it says these words Habakkuk is talking, and Habakkuk says this I will stand at my watch, and I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he, he's talking about God, will say to me. So, in other words, here's a really, really difficult time, and the nation of uh, israel habakkuk's people and it's so bad habakkuk had been praying trying to get a hold of god trying to find god to get god to intervene and he was so focused on that that he put himself in a position where when he would pray to god he would really go after god because god needed to get involved with The nation of Israel. So he said, I'm going to sit myself here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait and see when God shows up. And God replied in verse 2 by saying, Write down the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it will run with it. God literally communicated, He told Habakkuk, Well, then get ready because I do have a word for you and i want you to write it down and i want you to get the word out everybody needs to know this because i am getting involved god was going to give habakkuk a fresh glimpse of himself and that was enough that was going it was going to keep habakkuk moving it was going to be enough to keep habakkuk going along this would also serve as a means to encourage the few uh, that was like him who needed the encouragement. There was a lot of discouragement going on at that time. See, Habakkuk was a believer going through things just like, just like us, just like you, just like me. Do you feel right now that you're alone? I don't know what's going on with everyone uh, in this room. Do you feel like you're the only one on the island uh, that, you're, that you're dwelling on, that there's no hope? That there's no way out. Well, that was Habakkuk, and maybe today you too need a fresh uh, vision from the Lord. And if so, you picked a good time to come to Random Baptist Church. Now, Habakkuk lived during the the long reign of a guy by the name of King Manasseh. All right. Here's what you need to know about King Manasseh. It will help to put in perspective what Habakkuk was feeling and going through. Um, King Manasseh built altars to pagan gods all over his country. He was so big on astrology that he actually built altars to the stars right inside of the temple itself. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft and he consulted mediums and spiritists you read about this in second chronicles 33 6 he even offered this will show you how depraved manasseh was he even offered his own sons to be sacrificed by fire he installed a large pagan image in god's temple And because of his actions, the nation itself was led astray. All of Jerusalem, all of Judea were completely living in open wickedness. And here's Habakkuk. In the midst of all of this, you're going to see this on the screen. This is a verse I want you to highlight. You won't hear me say that much stuff like this because I think, what I might feel is important may not be what's important to you. This is a verse that is important to highlight or underline in your Bible. In 2 Chronicles thirty-three ten, 10, it says this, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. God was speaking, but the people were not listening. God was moving, but the people were still They weren't listening. They were closed off. How did he speak? He spoke through Habakkuk. I can tell you this. Preaching is hard enough when things are well received. But when it's not, um, it can change everything. It can cost you everything. And that's what was going on with Habakkuk. Nobody's listening to Habakkuk. The people weren't. You see what the attitude, the predisposition where King Manasseh was at. And you get a quick sense of how defeated... Habakkuk was feeling because when you look in Habakkuk chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 Habakkuk said these words you see him up on the screen how long O lord must I call for help but you do not listen or cry out for violence but you do not save why do you tolerate wrong destruction and violence they're all before me conflict abounds The law, he's talking about the Word of God, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. I mean, that's the very beginning of the book. You are not reading of of a situation where the glass is half full. It's empty. There is nothing. It is complete bankruptcy in the, the lives of the people of the nation of Israel. And leading the way is that uh, unrighteous wayward king king manasseh but an interesting thing habakkuk cries out how long what do we have to do to get your attention and god literally shows up and he literally replies to habakkuk and it's not the words that he wanted to hear but he was letting habakkuk know oh this is how i'm going to show up you'll see this on the screen god said in verse six I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, to conquer and punish King Manasseh and the nation and the people. And you know what? He did. He did. We know that from history. We read this event in 2 Chronicles 33.11, if you want to see it. This raises a question that I would just want to take a commercial timeout on that note and ask you this. How long, if you were Habakkuk, you just got to kind of play with the thought. How long, if you were Habakkuk, would you have, how long would you have held on to hope? God does show up. And when he shows up, instead of saying, I'm going to make things right, he says, you're going to be conquered. You're going to be slaves. You're going to be, many of you are going to die. And you're going to be taken captive by a foreign, um, kingdom that is evil that is corrupt and they're going to come in and you're going to belong to them that's my answer and that's what happened now think about that if you're Habakkuk remember he's standing uh looking he's praying to God seeing what God's going to say and then you see uh, at the very beginning of the book he's crying out to God he says God where are you at I mean, we've been praying. I have been praying. I I want an answer. I'm praying for my people, for my king, for my... Everything's going from bad to worse, and there's nothing. It's crickets. It's all I hear. And then when he does hear from God, God says, well, get ready, because you guys are going to be taken prisoner. The question is, how long would you, if you were Habakkuk, how long would you have held out with hope? You couldn't have blamed him if he stopped praying. It was bad enough when the people wouldn't listen to him. Then we read that the people wouldn't listen to God, and now they're about to be conquered by a foreign adversary, ruthless people of Babylon. If you were Habakkuk, at what point would you have given up? Is it when things start going badly? And you can transition that thought into your life right now what does it take for you to give up on god how does that story have to be written right now that causes you to say i give up he's not worth pursuing i don't care about god look at what this look at what he's done for me when this happened or i had experienced this what does it take for you to give up on on pursuing god what does it take to cause your faith to throw in the towel my reason for asking this is because god is not like a bellboy who jumps every single time we press a button he will sometimes stretch us because of what lies ahead and solutions and visions they don't come like paydays every two weeks do they i said this when we went through our study on prayer here a month or two months ago, whenever that was, uh, time is just blending to me. I remember early on after I became a Christian, I became a Christian when I was in college. It would be nice to always get a yes answer from God when, we, when, uh, when I talk to God. I, I, I wouldn't mind it, but we don't always pray for what is in our best interest. David even played a song on that last week. You know what the most important thing to me is when I pray? I have moved away from, oh, I want a yes answer. I have moved from that, I don't really want a no answer, I don't think, or I wouldn't be praying when I'm praying. You know what I want? I just want to know that the Lord is listening to me. That's all I want. I want to know that He is listening, and I'm going to leave the results with Him. That's the point that I have arrived at. And the Bible makes it very clear that we need to be right with the Lord in the way that we're living our life in order to be heard from Him. Because even David said, if I inquire iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So a lot of people will lift up a prayer in desperation, especially when it's bad, but they're not living for Him. And then they get mad at God when nothing happens. But what it fails to escape their notice If you're not living for Him, you're just wanting Him to come in with His magic cape, save the day for you, and then you're going to go on and continue to live in a life of disobedience. You're not going to thank Him for anything or for what He's done in your life because you just want Him to save the day. Then you're going to go on and live the rest of your day the way you want to. God doesn't move like that. God's not going to move like that. In your life right now, At what point did you give up on pursuing him? What was the cost? What was the price? You know, the Bible tells us, and you'll see this, in Philippians 1, 29-30, Paul told the church at Philippi, he said this, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now, how many times have you, when you've been witnessing to someone that you want to see them become a Christian, how many of you have told that same person, oh, and by the way, once you become a Christian, you're going to have to suffer for Jesus. Now, do you want him? You don't do that. Who wants to suffer? Well, we want people that's dear and near to us to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, because Jesus changes everything. And the one thing that we won't have to suffer is eternal banishment in a real place called hell by when we give our lives to Jesus. That's a that's a pretty good thing right there. But the Bible makes it clear that if you're going to confess Jesus and you're going to walk after Jesus, you're going to serve Jesus. It's not religion you're going after. It is Jesus that you're going after. If you will follow Jesus you're going to be persecuted we know that all you got to do tomorrow is when you go to school or when you go to work just start talking to your friends that don't have anything to do with church start talking to them about jesus and see how cold the atmosphere will get i mean chick-fil-a can't even put up a restaurant anymore in america without being shut down because of what they represent paul told the church in Philippi for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him you get to believe in him he's saying he also says but you're going to suffer for his sake too just like Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 you will be persecuted on account of my name but take heart and remember it, it has happened to those who have gone before you as well When God doesn't always immediately answer, it doesn't mean that he's not going to. Sometimes we are asked to trust him as we wait. I want you to see this poem that connects this thought really good. Bernard Rice wrote this poem, and he said this. you see it on the screen. He says, I could see God tonight if my heart were right. If all the rubbish of my soul were cleared away, if my heart were right, I could see God tonight. And in the radiance of his face, I'd flame with light and fill this place with beauty. And the world would know the face of God down here below tonight. If only my dull heart was right, were right. God Honors faith. He always has. He always will. A faith in him no matter the cost. I mean, we're reminded of that when we read the book of Job. Job lost every single thing that there was. And when his wife wanted him to commit suicide, whatever it would take for him to shut up with his faith that he was holding on to in God, his response to his wife, Am I not to take the good with the bad? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that's powerful because nobody understands the loss that he endured. And what was his end? His end was, I'm hanging on to God. I don't understand this. I don't like this. But I'm going to hang on to God. I want you to meet Jim and Sally Conway. They're not here in this church right now, and you don't know them, but you're going to hear their story. It's a story that concerned their decision to either give up or hang on to their faith in God. They expressed their very troubled faith in God when they found out that their young five-year-old daughter had to undergo an amputation. This is what Sally The mom said, quote, the most important thing I learned is I only had two choices to make. One, to continue my anger at God and follow despair or let God be God. I don't understand how all of this fits together. I don't understand the reasons for why this is happening I don't even know how to ask God for an explanation. Despair or God, there's nothing in between. Our family have has chosen to hold on to God. Isn't that powerful? And you know what? So did Habakkuk. So did Habakkuk. You know, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it's a good verse. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. We read in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says the secret things, they belong to the Lord. The things that we want to know, we don't understand, they belong to God only. Solomon followed this pattern of thinking when he said in Proverbs 25, verse 2, It is the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter. Um, It's worth remembering in all of this. And this I meant to put in your bulletin uh, so you would have it with you because it's very good. Remember this. Your personal peace doesn't need to depend on any outward circumstance. Or in any other person's behavior. Let me say it again. Your personal peace doesn't need to depend on any outward circumstance. Or on any person's behavior. See, your vision of God and his loving plans for you, they are real. They're real. It's out there. He's got something. Uh, Wherever you are at this moment in your spiritual life, I want to encourage you to do this. You need to praise and worship the Lord before you see your vision. And you need to praise and worship the Lord when you see your vision. Amen? There's three commitments on how to give your vision shape. Number one, always, always, always Make God priority number one. That's the most important thing you can do. Make God priority number one. Christ is to be the believer's number one. This is testified all throughout the 66 books in our Bible. Whatever it is that is hindering your spiritual walk, that is keeping God from being number one, get rid of it, work towards getting that out of your life so that your main focus, your number one, is going to be the Lord. And consider those, if you will, those who are in the pages of our Bible um, who were tested to see if the Lord was their number one and look at the benefits that they reaped having gone through the testing thereby showing that God was their number one. When we trust in him, that's when he moves. That is when he moves. And he will move. Sometimes the very thing that's holding God back from us is from declaring uh, the vision that he has for us. And when I keep saying vision, I'm talking about direction talking about what you're going to be doing, what's coming, what's happening. Sometimes the very thing that's keeping this vision from becoming very clear to you in your life is the fact that you're not keeping God number one, and God wants to be number one. Number two, you not only need to make God uh, top priority, make Him your number one, but number two, make your fellow believers number two. Your fellow believers number two. You're going to read about that in Hebrews 12, 1. The writer of Hebrews said, since therefore we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, who is that great cloud of witnesses? That's your church family. That's also your Christian family outside of the walls of this church, the universal, all believers everywhere. But since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we can go forward. Make your fellow believers priority number two. Uh, We saw last week, The one who came up for the idea for the existence of the church, it wasn't man, it was Jesus. It was Jesus' idea to come up with the church. Um, In Acts 2.42, that's a verse y'all are going to get to know really good, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. It says this, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And when you read in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2, it says, And those who believed were together, and their numbers began to grow. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to each other. It means they had to be together, to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, the things that we do at church. Now, coming together blesses the Lord and it will really bless your life too. Cain was the one who asked God, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer was obviously yes. Yes, Cain, you were. And you know something? You are too. And so am I. This is where we go for the fellowship that is needed to live in a world that hates Christ. This is where we go for encouragement. This is where we go to pray uh, with other believers. This is where we go to praise the Lord. And you know, it's at those moments when you are reminded of the importance of being involved in church, that love and support carries you through things. The one thought I always will have at a funeral is how do people who are not who are not believers how do they really get through those kinds of dark times when they don't have the lord and they're together at the worst time of their life and they're being reminded of the worst moment of their life because of a deceased loved one up at front and they don't know Jesus. How do they get through that? That is when you're going to see just one of the spokes of the wheel in the wheel of the importance of what your church is for you, because the church rallies behind you. The church is there. Church is going to love on you, not because they have to; they want to. Why? Because the Lord of Glory is in their life, and when Jesus is in your life, you're not you and you're more. You're going to do and you're going to be what Jesus wants you to be to represent who He is. I don't know how they do that kind of stuff. I don't know how they make it. Cain failed his brother Abel, and we are asked to not repeat that same mistake. As the song goes, they will know we are Christians by our love. Amen? But you make your uh, fellow believers priority number two, and Uh, Third and last, we need to make this needy world around us priority number three, evangelism. And every single thing that you do, do it all for the glory of God. Guard your integrity at all costs. Hold on to truth at every single turn. This world is looking for something better, and I got news for you. You're the answer. And they don't know it. You're the answer because of who is in you. You know, one day we're all going to give an account to the Lord for those that we have led to Him and those that we have led astray. You need to remember the needy world around you because because God is putting you where you are at for that very purpose to make an impact for Him. Can you even imagine what it would look like if every single believer actually started believing what they profess and started living it. I mean, really started living, started talking it, started feeling it, started getting involved with it. Can you imagine what would happen in the lives of people around us if all of us really started acting on what we believe. Well, remember that guy Habakkuk? And remember how he held on to God and he was going to do nothing else but go after God regardless of how things looked? Well, we know from his words at the end of the book, you're going to see it on the screen, his position, he says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce <clears throat> no food though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls yet i will exult in the lord and i will rejoice in the god of my salvation he wasn't seeing anything happen And what was his response? It doesn't matter. It's not going to change a thing with me. My faith is still in the one that I know and the one that I serve. You know what he was literally saying in essence? In essence, Habakkuk said, Lord, no matter what you do to me and no matter what you do to my country, I'm going to rejoice. It's okay with my heart with you. And what Habakkuk did not know at that time, as he was struggling in his faith and sorrows, while ultimately declaring his allegiance on God in a far, far away country where King Manasseh had been taken along with the people, a remarkable thing took place king manasseh repents and king manasseh finds god i mean he really finds god he didn't get what we would call saved he got radically saved i put in your bulletin his prayer and what happened because i want you to have that with you it's at the bottom in second chronicles 33 verses 12 through 13 you read about what changed It said, and when he was in distress, oh yeah, he was in distress. He entreated the Lord, his God, and he humbled himself greatly, catch that word, before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, God was moved by his entreaty. And he heard his supplications, and he brought him back to Jerusalem, to the kingdom, Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Isn't that cool? I mean, isn't that powerful? What brought that about? You know what brought that about? There was this guy who had nothing going for him and he was all alone. His name was Habakkuk and he had been praying. He had been praying. Didn't matter what he saw in front of him because there was nothing that was good in front of him. He kept praying. It didn't matter all the struggles and all the crud that he had gone through and another thing he experienced, disappointment after disappointment after, it didn't matter. He was praying. Even though it seemed like God wasn't listening to him because there was nothing happening, except for the fact, well, you can tell all the people they were about ready to get taken off into captivity, he kept praying. And as he was praying, on the other side of the world, God gets through to Manasseh because Manasseh is so he is so broken that the king ran after God and got a hold of God. And his prayers to God were so powerful that in this verse right here, these two verses, the Bible says God was moved by his entreaty. And he not only restored Manasseh, but he worked it out in the hearts of the Babylonians to release him and the people and to come back to Jerusalem. And when they came back, the Bible tells us that Manasseh rebuilt Jerusalem's wall. He fortified the cities of Judah. He got rid of all the foreign gods that were there. He removed the image that he put in the temple of the Lord. He threw everything out of the city. He got rid of it. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles that he encouraged the people, you go home and you do the same thing. You follow my example. He restored the altar of the Lord, and he offered a fellowship and thanks offering to God. A powerful king does a 180 turnaround, and by his humility, he changed human history. Does the life of one believer in a wicked society pay off? Habakkuk's story tells us very clearly absolutely yes it does yes it does yes it did and i'm here to tell you right now it still does today right now today today we are here to see what god can do and what god is going to do in the life of our church if we will get our lives personally and individually right with him by serving him and doing what we are supposed to do, and to get involved. How do we keep before us a vision of where we are going? It's by living for Him. It's by serving Him. And it's what we do in the meantime together for Him. So what are we going to do in the meantime? We're going to strengthen the things that remain at Red Baptist Church. We're going to grow, and we're going to discipline ourselves in these three areas of worship, edification, and a spirit of evangelism, as seen in the acrostic of we. Now, I said last week we were going to do something that we haven't done, and I had this idea. Literally, it started two days as I was preparing last week's message, and yet we were able to get it done. Thank you to local legends. Uh, the company that we're going, who helped us with this. Okay, we need a lot of reminders. Oh, we don't need that anymore. We need that. Okay, we got a lot of reminders. We need reminders about this thing that we're doing, this thing of strengthening the things that remain, the point of remembering that as believers, our focus is on... The way we live our lives, the way we're worshiping the Lord, not just singing, and the way we talk, the way we get around, the way we relate to one another, the way that we do things with one another, I want us to have a real vivid reminder all throughout the rest of this year. Uh, Eric, if you will, go ahead and put the picture up on the screen. Uh, I'll use this shirt right here just as an example. We got every size that covers everyone in here. Everyone, small, medium, large, extra large, 2X, 3X, all right? And on the back of every single one of the shirts, it's different colors. You can find your color. Everybody here and those who didn't come to, you know, if those that didn't come today and you're good friends with them, you give them a hard time. Oh, you missed out on the shirt today. You should have been at church. But no, we'll have these shirts out for the next couple of weeks. But everyone, at the end of the service today, you're going to come up. I got some people lined up to come up here and uh everyone's going to get a shirt because this is a we church it's not an I, it's not mine it's not do it my way only this is a congregational church and every single one of us in this church we make up the body of this church and that's what our community needs to see there's five different colors it's all for you and it's, it's for me. And every time we put it on, we're going to be reminded about what it is that we're supposed to be about. We're going to be reminded who it is that we represent. And then we're going to be reminded of the importance of whatever happens in this place is going to happen because of all of us. It's not uh, 3, 4, 20 people you know, that's going to make it all happen. It's everybody getting on board, and it's everybody coming together, going in the same direction. So I want to encourage you today to begin today to be working on those three areas in your life and how they not only will affect you, but God's going to use you to begin to reach out and to grow those who are around you. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, God, we just... There's a lot of things going on. God, you're doing a lot of things here, at Retta. And, Lord, what we want to do, we just want to solidify some of the things, God, uh, that we could do or focus on. and We just want to bring it down to three things, God, we can really manage. One is the way we live our life and who we're living it for. It's what we say. It's what we do. God, it's not about reading Your book and reading the things You're telling us to do, but God, are we going to do it? Because if we're not going to do it, then Lord, maybe we don't even know who You are. Maybe You're just in our head, but there's nothing in our hearts because we don't want to do Your Word. that's a problem. Father, I pray and ask that You would help us all in this room to really remember what it is that we say we believe in. And we just act like it. Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us this morning to keep in mind the words that we say, how we bless others, how we build others up, or tear others down. God, James tells us that from the same opening come both bitter and fresh water. God, we... we, We praise you, and then we tear down those who have been made in your likeness. And your word tells us these things ought not to be this way. God, we're going to edify. And Lord, we want to evangelize. God, evangelism is not like the great Billy Graham. Evangelism is when people can see that what we profess, that's exactly what we believe, because they see it in our life they know, Lord, that there's a difference in our life because of the way that we're living it. And I pray, God, that you would help us to really focus on the fact that we are a Bible to many of our unbelieving family and friends, and they need to see Jesus. So I pray, God, that you would help us to remember that. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would just bind all of our hearts together because, Lord, we know who we are, we know what our purpose is, and we know what that vision is that you have for us. And as we leave here today, we're going to take that with us. So Lord, anyone in this room, if there's whatever it is that they're struggling with, God, you can, you can meet them where they're at and you can take care of that. I just ask, Lord, this morning that you would move uh, in their lives as they need you to. In Jesus' name, amen.